I just uh, wanted to say I'm very thankful to be back. Um, and as the, the team leader, I feel like I probably learned the most about God taking care of us than, uh, and God being faithful than uh, probably anybody because uh, um, I don't know, I think I shared with some of you before that my attitude hasn't been there uh, from the beginning and, and uh, just God really used me um, and showed his presence to me this week. Um, one thing I wanted to say is, uh, um, you know, there was 21 of us and uh, I was kind of the apprentice under Doug Teeson for the for the entire group, but um, when it was time to make some decisions, uh, if Doug was there, he would let me make a lot of the decisions. And when and you know we got split up, and Doug wasn't there through a lot of the heated part. And I just wanted to say that the entire group was very very supportive of me. Um, they gave me suggestions, but they ultimately always said, you know, what do you want to do, Dan? And I really, really appreciated that. Um, they, they made it as easy as it possibly could be. Uh, but w one way that God revealed himself to me was that we felt like we had had to get out because the longer we stayed, the, the worse things were going to get. And that was evidently clear uh, when we were at the at the embassy, but at one point in time, uh, I'd made the decision to let's let's try and get out. Let's go to the airport, and uh, God just revealed Himself to us in that in that that's not where we were supposed to be. Because during this whole time, I mean, we we went to the embassy, and and. Uh, Kent kept sending us these annoying emails, try and get the kids, try and get the kids. And the embassy kept telling us, uh, there is no getting out without a passport. And so uh, I made the decision, we're going to the airport. Okay? And so we went to the airport, and God sent this, for lack of a better word, idiot. Uh, <laughs> Not you. No, I was... <laughs> no, I guess it did look kind of funny that I looked at you. No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was just looking for another word. Sent this, <laughs> sent this idiot to the front of the to the front of the uh, the airport, and he just caused more mayhem. And uh, he's an official. Not yeah, he. Yeah, he was from the State Department, and he was just a total. We know. We, anyway, <laughs> and, and to make it, God and, used him too. that's what I'm saying. God, God sent him there. I feel to block our way. I mean, I know that uh, three or four of us got out, but right when those three or four got out, or however many, my my brain is a little jumbled. Six got out. It was like those six were meant to get out, and no more, because right after them. A fist fight broke out at the entrance to get, and at this time we were all like this, wall to wall, trying to get to the door that was 20 feet away. And uh, 
And so those six got out. We were all lined up through there. Those six got out, and then boom, this this fist fight started. And um, Esther had fainted. And at that point, it was like, we're going back to the embassy. And and luckily, you know, we'd been there two hours, and Daniel had had... God bless him, decided to stay there until he saw us go through. And, yeah. And so we all load back up onto the embassy, back onto the truck and go back to the embassy. And God, had, it was just ahead of us the whole time. And we're, we're pulling up to the embassy, and, and uh, Aaron and Julie were like, we've got four of the kids with us. Let's go see what we can do. And, of course, Kent is still... <laughs> still texting us get the kids and so they ran in the front door and like and it was just amazing and it looked like only we were only going to get four but then uh, God put it on this woman's heart this this lady Linda Linda Percy Linda Percy uh, who had been there all these people at the embassy had been there um, non-stop for round the clock and I know they were dead tired she just was like our little guardian angel that 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 took care of us and got the paperwork going even though the paperwork took about 24 hours she saw it through she she kept giving us little updates about every three or four hours we're still working on it. we're still working on it. still working on it and uh, I brought us food and diapers and and we were just getting ready to hunker down for the night, and Scott said, "You know, I'm praying that we that we can go tonight." And I was thinking, "There ain't no way we're going tonight." <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, I see Linda coming across the courtyard, and I, and my heart just just heard beating. And it's like, uh, I think Steve was sitting there with me, and I was like, "Hold your breath, Steve. Hold your breath." And uh, she stopped and talked was talking to these people. And I could tell she was carrying a package. And then she just started coming again, and she walked up to me and said, here is all the passports. Do not open it. Hide it. Do not tell anybody. We're getting you out first. And uh, she's like, we need you to go back into this room. And at, at this point in time, that room had just, it was it turned into stink. It, was, it, was, it had gotten really bad. And uh, she said, and Danny, uh, Danny Stillwell is not here. She's part of the team. She goes, is there any chance you could just take us through that gate? She said, that's a good idea. <laughs> said, but be, be ready to go. And, and about an hour and a half later after that, she came busting through and said, let's go, let's go, let's go. And so we busted through there. And, and shortly after that, they escorted us to the back of the airport. But it was, it was God. I don't want to take the whole time here. <laughs> Guess I'm next. Um, what about the other three? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Tell us. I, I'm the three. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Um. Well, we, uh, Julie and I, were in the room with the um, the four boys. At the embassy, and at first she was, it almost seemed like she was kind of saying, I don't think I can help you with this right now. Um, 
And then, I don't know, something happened and she just, she walked away for a while and then she came back and, you know, of course, Julie and I are just beside ourselves in prayer and the boys are praying and uh, she comes out and she says, we can do it, but I'm not doing it without Olivier, who is Wilton's younger brother. And so now we've gone from getting four out to getting five out. And then I asked her, I said, well, what about Woodland and Jackson? And, and, but I don't even think I got it all out. And she's like, no. I'm like, but if we, and she's like, no, no more. She goes, if we let you bring others, then they're all going to want to come. They're going to want to push them all on you. And she didn't understand that I was talking about kids who were part of the same process. And um, my attitude was just like, well, if we can, whatever we can get out, we'll take it, you know. And so um, we went, I took Wilton because it was his younger brother. And we got back on the truck with Daniel. We head back to, um, back to the orphanage. And uh, while I saw, I saw personally the worst thing I had seen on the way back and to the orphanage, and it was basically it was the driver who hadn't eaten all day. He'd been running around doing whatever he could for us. I think he ate a meal early in the morning, but and I guess he'd been telling Daniel, "I'm hungry." <laughs> <laughs> and so I asked Daniel, I said. Has TT eaten today? And he goes, don't bring that up. <laughs> and so, I mean, I didn't have anything on me. I had some money on me. So I, I honestly, I just said, and I pulled out a $20 bill and I handed it to TT. I said, TT, I know you're starving. I said, I don't know what this can do for you except for maybe give you a couple extra meals when you're able to. I said, but I just want to thank you for everything you've done for us, not just here, but on the mountain and everywhere. And I have no idea how much of what I said he actually understood. But our message of appreciation reached him. And, and so you could tell he was kind of like renewed. All right, we're doing this, you know. And so um, so we're driving back and we're going through Port-au-Prince. And Haiti's really weird because somehow as soon as dark hits, the throng of people that just massage the ground with their feet and their tires all day long disappear. Who knows where they go, but they're gone. And um, on the way back, though, there was a tap-tap, which is, I don't know, for those of you who don't know what a tap-tap is, how do you describe it? It's just a, it's a pickup made to hold 100 people. <laughs> <laughs> Artistically. Artistically. Artistically, yeah. And some, of, and some of them are like the big, um, like Isuzu trucks with the flatbed on the back, and those are made to hold up 300 people. And uh, on the way back, uh, Wilton was fa- he was facing the back of the vehicle, so he was looking at me because we're both straddling the bench, and we're praying that we're gonna, you know, gonna get these, you know, get everything, get all the kids, and get them safely. And um, so his his back was to the front of the truck, and we pass um, one of these tap taps that was uh, made out of one of those Azuzu trucks, and there were like 15 bodies just stacked up in it in the back, like in a pyramid. And I was just like, thank God we're getting them out of this, man. Because 
And we go back, and uh, I told him, I said, don't tell any of the other kids. Just go get Olivier. Don't even tell him. Just get him and come on back. Um, but the word had already gotten out that, you know, and I was worried that these kids were going to be upset, you know, that not all of them are getting out. But they were thrilled. They were just thrilled, to, you know, to be able to get some of these kids to this magical land called Kansas. And... Uh, um, while we were, while he was getting Olivier, um, Nicole, who knew that we, you know we'd been kind of on this journey all day, when she found out that we were coming back, she had decided to prepare food for me to take back. And we had asked for water, as all we had asked for, but she was providing food for us to come back with, and. The girls, the older girls, they're taking like these big cans of chicken breast meat, and they <laughs> they don't have a can, <clears throat> and they have these ginormous kitchen knives, and they're slamming them on the ground <laughs> with these kitchen knives, trying to break open these cans as fast as they could, and uh, I'm like, oh gosh, you know, I'm like a dad, I'm like, well, what are you doing? And uh, but they were more than happy, and they're looking at me like, no, it's okay, we're doing good. <laughs> And uh, so here, and here these kids are who are eating, living on rice and beans every day, and they're preparing a meal for us with joy in their hearts, a meal better than one that they eat every day. But they were just so happy to serve and to see these kids going out. And then I get a message. Um, I can't even remember. Somehow, if any, was it you or Kent? Does anyone remember wh- what message I got? I don't remember. Oh, they said something. Oh, someone asked about getting the other kids, and I said, "No, unfortunately not. They they uh, they can't come." And uh, Kent was like, "Why?" You know, and I'm like, "I don't know. I just don't know why." And I had no idea what we were dealing with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as uh, as Doug Teeson always says, and he got it quoted from I think Daniel, "That's not the way we do it in Haiti." <laughs> so, um, and that's not the way they do it in Haiti. But anyways, um, we were discussing that we can't get these other kids. We have to just accept the ones that we can get, and that's it. And um, my wife um, texted me back. And let me just show you. Where is this? This is the most amazing sound you'll ever hear in Haiti after an earthquake. Ready? Is it going to work? No, it's, we're in the States, so it's not going to work now. <laughs> no, Really? All right, whatever. Oh. That is the sound of joy in Haiti right there. Was yours the only phone? Well, there was a short period of time in which we had two cell phones working, but mine was the only one that continuously worked. And i got to be honest, for those of you who haven't been to Haiti, they don't have much of anything, but somehow they'll have two and three cell phones a person. Um, and it's because, I think the reason they do is because they have two different companies out there. One's called Digicel, and it's called Walla, whatever. But like you could walk across the street, and all of a sudden you're out of service in one, but you have service on the other. And so you'll see people talking like this on their cell phone. Like, you know, and it's just the craziest looking thing. But after that earthquake, you didn't see a single cell phone, except one. And... And uh, it was passed around from every single... There was, no, there was no private messages 
on this cell phone because if you were holding it and Julie gets a message from her mom or you know Dan's holding it and I got a message from my wife it's just like yes well she says she loves you too yeah okay you know (laughs) and it was one point I'm like who's Thomas and this girl Danny's like that's my boyfriend I'm like god that's hardly appropriate we're not sending boyfriend girlfriend messages back and forth you know (laughs) but um um so I get this um message that basically says you have to take the other two with you and I, well, by this, and I get on the phone. Somehow I was able to make, you know, throughout this I could mostly only text, but every so often I could call. And um, so I called Nick, and it, and it went through. And I told her, I said, look, um, the woman made it very clear that we are not to bring any other children back except the ones that we have permission to take back. And I'm afraid that if we take back any children more than we're, more than we're supposed to, that she's going to just say no to the whole thing, and then we'll get none. And I said, so you need to tell Kent to, he has to, that he has to be 100% certain that we have a go on these kids before I take him because I can't risk what we already have for the sake of more. Um, and uh, sh- they said, go for it. And so um, the other ones were sleeping because they always put the, the, the babies. No matter how old they are, if they're like this big or smaller, they're babies. Um, but they sent the, the babies off to bed. And so I, uh, oh, that's right. No, it was Daniel. Someone was on the phone with Daniel is what it was. And they said, it's, it's good. And uh, I, couldn't remember, I knew I couldn't remember how it because it wasn't my phone call. But uh, the, they went and they grabbed a little woodland. Who I, I don't know how many of you have met her. They snatched her out of bed. She's still asleep. And they have her sitting on this chair doing like this. And they're whipping her hair all up and they're putting all these beads in her hair and, and they're ripping her clothes off and they're putting new clothes on her. Oh, you can't go to America on that. You know, and, you know, um, and, and James is, and Jackson's just standing there kind of stunned and they have like two pairs of pants on them because it's cold in Kansas. So they throw two pairs of pants on the kid. And, <laughs> and uh, we, uh, we get them all packed up and they give me just some photos that they had of the kids for the, for the adoptions officer and the, and the, uh, embassy and uh, you know they give us the food and we take a five gallon jug of water with us and uh, we're in the we, we had gotten in the Toyota SUV that they have to go back instead of the big big truck and uh, I was expecting just that overarching sadness that you know we felt last year when we left there's just the kids are like Bye. and we're you know we're all crying and stuff but these kids, they were dancing, and they were clapping, and they were singing, and they were all, praise Jesus, praise Jesus. And it, it just felt really small and insignificant, you know, because these kids know in their heart of hearts that this is a God thing. And, you know, they don't know all the rest of the stuff that, that went into it, but they knew it was a God thing. And they weren't sad to see their friends go, and they weren't sad that I was leaving again. They were just happy that these kids were on their way home. And uh, regardless of anything else that happens or will happen in the future at Haiti Lifeline for me, I doubt very highly that anything will top that moment right there, just watching these kids dancing and clapping and saying, praise Jesus, that these kids are going home. And so... I have a hundred other stories to tell, but I'm not telling them now. So, (laughs) 
relieved to hear that, especially after all the bickering and fighting I saw amongst the kids, <laughs> just to see that they were finally happy for other children and <laughs> not thinking of themselves. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, I just wanted to give a little story about how um, we all happened, the first six happened to get out. Um, like Dan said, this guy, he, he did seem just a little bit like an idiot. Um, <laughs> but, you know, in defense of him, he was one man. And he had, there was the police force in Haiti, I guess, is pretty much non-existent right now. Um, I think I've heard that a lot of them are having to tend to their own families and, and those kind of things. He had nobody for crowd control. And... Um, and I'm not sure exactly what his purpose was in being there. I'd heard rumors that our group may have been one of the reasons why he was there in the first place, and he was really trying to get our group out. Um, I don't know. Um, I like to think that um, why he did things the way he did was partly because of his own agoraphobia. And because <laughs> he kept telling people, stand back, don't make any sudden moves. Um, you know, I'm, I'm concerned for my own personal safety here. And, um, <laughs> and, and, you know, and finally he'd had enough, so he just marched right on through the crowd. And one agoraphobia attracts another agoraphobia, and he stopped right in front of Matt Brandt. And... <laughs> And he looked at Matt and he said, now you're going to need a piece of paper to write on. And Matt reached in his pocket and pulled out two pieces of paper. And he gave them to the man and the man. And he wrote one on one and put his initials on it and gave it back to Matt. And he wrote two on the next one and his initials. And he gave it to me. And there was a woman standing next to us. And he wrote three on hers. And Johnny was on the other side. And he put four on hers. And we knew us three were on the plane. Um, and he had been previously saying that there was only 16 spots on the plane. Um, so as the crowd pushed in and pushed in, we found ourselves back in a little um, stairwell and right next to the door. And um, eventually a policeman came out. And it was, it was interesting because it was... It was so hot and oppressive and the, the crowd all around and it was just overwhelming. And um, a policeman came out and, and I believe he was saying that he was, they were going to be given priority, not to the Haitian Americans, because there was a huge crowd there and they all had American passports, but they were mostly Haitian Americans. And they were going to be given priority to the natural born citizens. And he kept grabbing my hair while he was doing that. And um, and he was a Haitian policeman who was saying this. And, and I could tell this was really rallying the crowd up. It was making people really, really mad. And right about that time, they opened the door and they started letting us go through. And we ran through the airport. And there was a lady sitting at a little coffee table stamping passports. And she stamped our passport, and we walked out onto the tarmac, and I swear it dropped 15 degrees in temperature. Um, <laughs> it was amazing. And, um, and I thought, oh, it's just going to be us three. And I looked back, and I saw um, Phil and Richard and Trenton coming through. And I didn't know how, they, how, how those guys got out, because they were kind of on the other side of the crowd. And... It was just um, incredible to me that they were on the other side of the crowd, but I guess the policeman had gone and pulled them specifically out 
and that's how they had gotten out. Um, the the plane that we got on was a um, it was called Visionaire. It was a regular jet. It had been a chartered jet by FEMA, and um, it had been up and down the coastline already picking up um, FEMA workers and military personnel to bring them into Port-au-Prince. And the, the plane, I guess, had been sitting on the tarmac in Port-au-Prince for two hours already, and they were running out of fuel and very anxious to leave. And so as soon as we got on it, they started preparing for takeoff, and the plane was only half full. And there was a lot of, I mean, there was, had this guy been a little bit more organized, you know, yeah, the whole team could have got out, a lot of other people could have got out too, but just the way things turned out, thanks to, to God's, God's handiwork, you know, it was, it didn't work out that way. And, um, but we were relieved to get out. And um, is God's timing was always interesting um, throughout this whole thing. Um, there's, uh, right before the earthquake hit, um, Matt and I and Esther had gone downtown to the supermarket and had picked up water and ice and supplies and stuff. And... And Nicole, just like the day before, had been telling us how she wanted to be doing, she wanted to cook our evening meals. And so we came back from that, and she, had, she and the girls had mostly finished our evening meal, cooking it, and, and then the earthquake hit. And so we, we were stocked up on water and stocked up on ice, and we had supper ready and <laughs> at that time. And... Um, yeah, and the, and the pot. <laughs> this was another amazing thing, because if had I been cooking, I just would have used the regular pots. But Nicole used one of their pots that are set for um, cooking on the coals, and it was round on the bottom. So I think when the earthquake shook everything, the pot just shook with it. And <laughs> and so and she had made a huge pot of stew. Of uh, she was making spaghetti, and um, and I added some beans to lengthen it and. I fed our team that night. I gave it to the orphanage. The whole orphanage ate the next day from this one pot of stew. And um, it was a great thing. And there's, there's a lot of other things I could point to that were God's timing. You know, um, some of you know we've been up on the mountains um, that Saturday before. Um, if it had hit when we were up in the mountain, I don't know if any one of us would have been alive at certain points because it was a very treacherous thing up there. Um, yeah, throughout the trip, um, one of the things that I had kind of struggled with was, you know, why I was there, why I was going, besides to cook with Mary. Um, <laughs> we had a great time together. But... Um, you know, I, I had a lot of fun with the kids, and I actually got to teach English for their classes while I was there and was scheduled to do it for the whole week until the, the quake hit. Um, but I had taken a walk with a couple of the boys back to the back wall, and they were showing me some plants back there. Um, and then I just felt like we needed to go back up to the front. And so we walked back up to the front and sat down on the front porch, and this was probably five or ten minutes later when the quake hit. And that whole back wall where we were, fell down. It was amazing. 
And I realized as I was standing out there, and I had one of them with his arms wrapped around me crying, and I was trying to hold myself together as everybody's running around, that those kids just needed someone there to tell them it was okay. Because they're there alone most of the time. And so I did. And throughout the next couple of days, I made it my goal to make sure that they smiled, that we played games. I taught the boys in the kitchen how to do the sprinkler and other things and talked them out of taping all of the cupboards shut because they were terrified of another earthquake. They brought in a roll of duct tape for the job. The and earthquake threw a lot of plates out of it. Yeah, cupboard. it was a mess. And so it was... Um, it was amazing. We, we were able to actually go out and make kites and play games and have fun. And we did that right up until we had to leave them. Well, there's two things that definitely stood out in my mind from this trip. First is that God has a plan and is in control. And the second is that God answers prayer. Um kind of go along with what's been said, just that the front wall also went down, at least part of it, and there's people standing out there 30 minutes before, around there, before the earthquake hit. And after it, some people were running, and we thought a baby had been trapped underneath the wall. And Esther was there crying and praying, and all of us were trying to help and... Um, we went out to, off to get tools just at a dead sprint, and by the time we got back, it was discovered that the baby wasn't there and had been moved shortly before, and that and there was rejoicing, and at, so we also realized that we need to put up some barricade there, just for temporary means, and people up and down the street were praying and or praising God and. It was just amazing to see. Um, lots and lots of people came up to ask if we were all right, um, if anybody was hurt inside the orphanage, and just and even offering to help in some cases. And throughout the next couple of days, we during the night, you'd hear, especially the first night, you'd hear singing almost the entire night, praising God. Um, it was just something new to me that immediately the church's immediate reaction was to go out there and help and do what they could and just even in the face of this disaster they were praising God and skipping forward just a little bit to the when we were at the embassy and we were waiting on these visas and it seemed to be we didn't know how long it would take they'd say it could be one it could be five hours and <clears throat> Conditions had gotten pretty worse, or kind of gotten pretty bad. <clears throat> they didn't have food to offer people anymore. The place had gone a mess, and there was nothing we could do except wait, and just feeling help, kind of helpless that way. And I just, um, I know a bunch of other people were praying for us at that time, and um, I prayed as well, just that if you could get us out that day. And what do you know? He actually did. <laughs> and I'm just very grateful that he got us out of there and um, before it became any worse.
I was sitting down at the computer, sending out a wonderful email with all these great stories to Rosa Villain and holding a child, and Connor was next to me holding another child um, when the quake hit, and uh, we, we grabbed our kids and headed out the back, and, you know, the back steel door was, was slamming, and, um, you know, time slows down in those, those instances, and, I'm, and a million things are going through your head, and odd things, and crazy, bizarre things, and serious things, and I'm seeing my 14-year-old son just looking like a man, and he's determined to get that door open, and he's got a little baby in his hands, and we get out, and uh, everyone's scattering to the little soccer field area. And uh, it, it just took a few minutes to realize that no one was hurt, no one was injured. But um, the thing that was unbelievable was the kids and the, the staff workers at the or orphanage immediately were down on their knees praying, immediately um, praising God and praising Him. And they didn't know they didn't know that someone wasn't dead up in the room or that we had missed someone or anything. And um, back it up a little right after the earthquake hit it was so so loud and then it was just just silent for I don't know three or four seconds and then this surge of sound of people screaming and wailing just surrounding us um, was there um, for I don't know how long my time frame is, is messed up but I was just amazed at how quick um, these people are to praise God um, they're used to hardship um, and I, because of that, they they have total confidence that confidence that God is involved in everything. And uh, like I think someone said when we were picking up bricks, thinking someone was dead under the wall, um, people were even walking down the streets. Thank you, Jesus. Have mercy, Jesus. Um, just immediately after, and it was um, it was a neat thing. Um, I was worried about you. We did not know where you were at. <laughs> well, I wasn't at the orphanage. Um, I was at a different orphanage, actually. And um, I got back Tuesday that day. We actually left at 10 a.m. We were supposed to actually leave Wednesday. So I'm just glad that God was sovereign over my group. We had 10 people. Um, and I was, I was worried about them. Like, I didn't even know about the earthquake until, like, 5 when I was in Dallas. So I was crying, and I kept watching the news, seeing all these photos and stuff. And then I, my mom called me and told me that they're alive. So that was good. But, yeah, I had a good time in Haiti. Uh, I was in Port-au-Pay, um, about 100 miles away from Port-au-Prince. But um, yeah, I'm just glad that everyone got home safe. I just have to echo what Scott said. That uh, he, he said that you know God's in control and that He answers prayer, and that's what we saw. We couldn't have done it better. Uh, although we had our plans, He worked His ways and uh, worked out for the best. Um, I just wanted to end with uh, um, giving God the glory and. Uh, just real quickly, if I can do this real quickly, just some of the the team's attributes, the individual people. Um, I mean, we had fabulous food. 
we had fabulous tech support, the man with the, <laughs> with the phone. Um, we had, we had uh, the girls, uh, especially Woodland on the way back, and, and Jackson, the other little boy, um, just keeping them all together, being mother to them, keeping them calm. Um, Woodland didn't actually start crying until last night at the hotel. Um, we had uh, our ace in the hole, Phil. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I didn't know Phil at all uh, before we went. And talking about a guy with a servant's heart, this guy was incredible. And then on top of that, it was like, uh, you know, the generator was generator was down. Well, he knew what was wrong with it. It's like, where did where did Phil get all this know-how? I mean, it's it's uh, the glow plugs are bad, and he'd get a meter and he says, yeah, you know, and he would he would test all these and and you know, to the average guy, glow plugs. What's a glow plug? You know, I knew what a glow plug was, but I didn't know how to test one. And uh, Phil. Phil just uh, took care of things that that, and he did it without asking. And it was just incredible. Um, and I know I'm missing people, but um, I just wanted to say that God put individuals together for a purpose, and uh, it was like He was running with the football the whole time, and and He He brought certain people to block at certain times and certain people to carry the ball at certain times and he coordinated this whole thing and he just revealed that to me and it was it was just incredible I, I know you, we've only heard a few of the stories but it was just incredible the way he he did that for us and not to be a mic hog but um, I figure everyone would appreciate this um, it's a conversation. It stems from a conversation that Doug and I had with uh, Pastor Daniel when we had gone up into the mountains. And, and I share it with you. It's quite humorous. But when I look back on it, I can draw incredible spiritual truth from it. At least it's incredible to me, especially considering what we, uh, what he, what we experienced. We were up in the mountains, um, and this church um, was basically saying, we need a new building Help if you can, please. Well, also knowing that that church is probably flat right now. It's probably completely destroyed now. But, by the way, this church is half the size of that room back there. serves 500 people. So, um, yeah. And, uh, we, you know, we were pointing out the different areas that, you know, you could build it over there, you could build it over there. No, you don't want to build it over there, whatever. And we noticed that the rocks in this area were, you know, everyone's seen an area that has flat rocks. But imagine all the rocks like this, just standing up on end, one right after the other, you know, sticking up out of the ground. And Doug, and I kind of said, Doug, well, what's up with that? I've never seen that before. And Doug, was, his curiosity was piqued as well. And we, uh, we decided to ask Daniel about it. And Doug's thought was that it was uh, volcanic in nature, perhaps. So he asks Daniel, is this caused by some volcano or something? And Daniel's like, no, there's no vo vo never been any volcanic activity in, in Haiti. And Doug and I were both, we really wanted to know what was up with this. This is crazy looking. And so we were really pushing him, kind of probably harder than we should have, you know, like he knew. 
And uh, he says, the ground never moves in Haiti. <laughs> and uh, this is four days before the earthquake. He says this, the ground never moves in Haiti. And, but we pushed him a little farther. And it was almost like he, what, he, what he said was almost like just to get us to shut up in a way. Like, all right, I win, you lose, now be quiet. But what he said was, the good Lord made it that way for the pleasure of the mountain goats. <laughs> and Doug and I looked at each other. <laughs> we were like, okay, you win. And <laughs> but what I drew from that after pondering, because Daniel is one of these guys, he could read the phone book to you, and somehow it sounds like spiritual wisdom. So I figured there had to be a spiritual truth in there somewhere. Anyways... Um, and I was honestly thinking about it, and I'm thinking, you know what, we don't always have to know why. We can push and we can push, but God's not always going to give us the answer we're looking for. And sometimes it's as simple as he's trying to make it better for one. And so when I look back at this, I think of these seven kids who are now either at home or on their way home right now. And is it possible that all of this happened for the pleasure of seven children? I don't know. But it was just I couldn't help but think about it. So you'll hear me from time to time say, for the pleasure of the mountain goats. (laughs) There it is. Do we have time for questions or anything? No? Okay. Was there a little bit of prayer going on here or something? was talking about in, in Haiti, the, the thought was um, Romans 8.28, and that was something that was going on, um, a lot of people were thinking about a lot, and I'm just going to put this down because I have it printed out. Um, you know, what, what can you say, you know, in this kind of situation, and so there's nothing that I can add to but just to say what God has been doing um, in, in this situation, and I was going to talk about Romans 8.28, and I'm going to just sum up what the main bullet points were um, that I had. But I just want to read the passage uh, because the passage speaks so much truth for this situation that really I don't have to elaborate too much on it. And just, you know, uh, Paul talks about Scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for all these different things. And, and what a better example in this passage of Romans. Um, it's just amazing. And when I was reflecting on it, and he, and he talks about creation groaning with this anticipation for the restoration of all things. And there's this picture of this almost but not yet sort of idea that we're kind of here with the kingdom and, God, and Jesus Christ has established the kingdom, right? But it's, it's not yet fully here. And I get that. I get that when, when we see friends that are in a place that we have no idea what's going on and... and and we're scared, and we're frightened, and, and you get this sense of, of creation at unrest with itself. But then it says the most affirming thing, and John Stott actually says this about Romans 8.28. He says it's been, in essence, a pillow um, that, that weary Christians have been able to rest their, their 
their tired heads for years, Romans 8, 28. And so I just want to read that, that whole section starting in verse 18. So you're welcome to, to open your Bibles up if you want to. It says this, I consider, I consider and I'll give you a second. Before I do that, let's just, let me just pray. Father God, I just thank you for bringing our family back. Lord, we have shared meals with each other. We've watched each other's kids. We've hunted and we've fished together. We've camped. We've, we've done Bible studies together. Lord, this is our family. And, and we are so happy to have them back. And it has been such an emotional week. And I feel like we've all felt and gone through every possible expression of emotion that you've blessed the human body with, God. And we just can't help but praise you, God. You are wonderful. You are amazing. And, and to say what happened in Haiti was a miracle with our group and with your timing is an understatement, Lord, that it really is a true display and testimony of the ways that you can use the worst of worst situations for your glory. And God, I find absolute comfort in that. And that's what this passage is about. And so, Lord, would you just open our hearts more than anything to teach us, but also just to be expressing worship. God, we want to be worshiping you and praising you just like those in Haiti were doing right after the earthquake. So, Father, be with us, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Romans, 18, Romans 8, 18 starts by saying this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And as I read this, just, just take bits and pieces. There's, as Mike will say, there's nuggets hidden within the text that are waiting to be found, and there's nuggets in this text. And so just be asking, this, you know, God, what, what do you want me to hear? He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And I love that language. That creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved, but the hope that is seen in is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words can express, cannot express. And I'm sure uh, we felt that way this week. But we had no idea what to pray. And when, when, I, when I got the, phone, the, the call from First Grace and then Rosa that this happened, I had no idea what to pray. And it's so assuring, real quick, that, that we don't have to. And it's not about us coming to God and, and saying that magical spell that he says, yes, that's the right spell, now let me answer that prayer. That before we even know how to pray or what's going through us and processing that the Spirit itself is groaning words that, that go beyond expressions towards the Father interceding for us. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in according with God's will. And this, then in 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Um, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been a called according to his purpose. Um, I had some just little bullet points that I wanted to share. I'm not going to go through all those because it was, uh, yeah, God has worked in so many different ways. Because if anything, I feel like we need to drive this point home more than anything, that 
there is nothing that could ever be done for those. First look at the verse itself. Who are these promises? This is a promise that God has made to who? For those who love him, that are called according to his purpose. This promise is not a promise that's made to non-Christians. Piper says this real quick. Let me draw to it. For the person who does not love God and is not called according to his purpose, final optimism is foolish and out of place. Pessimism is exactly the right state of mind for the one who does not love God and is not called according to his purpose. Things are not going to work for his good, but for his harm. Um, This call, this promise is for Christians. Because he says it's for those who love him that have been called. And at the end he says, uh, according to those who have been called to his purpose... And so this idea that God is, is, is working in all things for good is not, for, is not to be this kind of optimistic take that every person can grasp on. It's, it's reserved for Christians. But, and this is the big but, and this is what is so wonderful, and this is what we're hearing in these stories of, of you guys telling us this, is that there is not one single thing in our lives that has, in our lives that has ever happened in the history of humanity that is happening right now and that will happen in the future that can outdo God. That is amazing. Because I always, I really struggled for a long time, and Mike and I have had a lot of conversations on this, and Jared and Ken and I, we've talked about how, how does God deal with suffering and what does that look like? And I've been in this dangerous area of theology when I was in college called open theism, and I could talk to you about how horrible that is and how destructive it was for me spiritually. But it's so comforting when I come to Romans eight twenty eight. And I know this, that, that it's this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. He's not saying that everything that happens to us is good. In the sense of this, uh, a, a person could die tomorrow, that we know could be murdered tomorrow, and that thing in and of itself isn't good. But God is so powerful that he can work for the good of that situation. And so something like an earthquake in Haiti happens. And in and, and, and ways we're not even realizing, we're a church of about 120 people, and yet we listen to countless ways in which God was working for good in such a horrible situation. And that's amazing. If there's ever a time to proclaim the sovereignty and providence of God, now's the time. Because we're the small church in Podunk, Topeka, Kansas, that meets in a, in a rented-out Christian school, and yet we can begin to proclaim all the ways in which God has been good to us. And that's just one story. That is one story of the countless thousands that you're beginning to hear. And how amazing is that? That we can rest our heads, our weary heads, and you guys are literally weary, and Dan is crazy. He's going to work today at 2 o'clock, which is, is just amazing. But we can rest our heads at night knowing that fact, that we may spend the rest of our lives in a, in a, in a, in a bad or rough situation, but God is working. And it's more important to realize this, that we can't interpret this, and this is the danger of the scripture, that it means that God's going to bless you in this life right now. That doesn't, that doesn't promise that if you lose your job tomorrow that he's going to bless you right around the road with a better paying job. He may choose for you never to, to get a better paying job because he wants to teach you something. This verse, and, and actually at the end of this verse, is, is talking more about working out or, the, or, or how we are being conformed to Christ's likeness. So really this verse is all about God's glory. And, and so when, when crud happens to us and horrible things and we're damaged by life because that's what it's like to live in a fallen world, when that happens, our reaction shouldn't be, why, God, are you allowing this to happen to me? But, God, how is it through this event, what, like what has happened this week, how can you be glorified? And how can I be used? And if we're just open to that and we're just conduits of God's, of God's amazing grace and work, we can begin to see in all the different ways that he's worked. 
I mean, not only was it amazing how God was using those people there, but what about the fact that Eric took the time to just put up a thread board that we could communicate with each other, or that Ken had, had went to Haiti a couple years ago to make a video, a promotional video, and then that website got over 14,000 hits in one day. Or what about, you know, um, what about the fact, um, man, or that Kent was, was, was able to, to do what he was able to do in his diligence, or that Mike and Liz Patton had these amazing, you know, connections, for lack of a better term, and was able to contact his dad who contacted, you know, Sam Brownback and all this. If you just start to look in all the ways that God has used us, man, we can only do what's natural, which is praise God. So that's all I have to say. Just know this, that there is nothing in this world that will ever happen to us that have been called and claimed as Christians that have accepted Christ. We never have to worry that God isn't doing something in us to work towards his future good for his future glory. That's not promising material wealth. That's not the gospel of prosperity by any means. But we can rest in assurance that we are, we are being conformed to his likeness through the times that we're going through. And, and we're not going to do open worship today because obviously what's the most appropriate thing to do is praise him. And so uh, that's all I have to say. And uh, the worship team can come down and we're just going to spend the rest of the time just singing and praising God and, and delighting in all the ways he's blessed us. And, um, and that's it. So let me pray and then we'll, we'll, we'll start. Father God, we just thank you for this day. I don't know what else to say other than that. I'm so happy and overwhelmed as much as I'm able to, to be overwhelmed in the fact that my friends and people that I love dearly so much are back. It's, it was a whole host of emotions that we as a church went, to, or went through this week, Lord, and we know after Tuesday that this body has been changed, Lord, and we don't know exactly what you're doing at this point, but we're starting to see glimpses of your glory in our lives breaking through. Lord, that these are times for us to, to sort of strengthen our families as we, um, we prayed for these people. And we, we, Lord, we don't know why you do all the things that you do, but we know that as Christians that you are doing them for your good in the end, that you can take the, the, the most evil, bad situation and you can allow it to work so that your glory is proclaimed. God, you're not the author of evil, but we know that you've allowed it in your sovereignty and your providence, and that's a mystery that we can only be in the grasp. But, Lord, we know that you have filled Scripture with so many promises and that you're good on them, Lord. And, and we don't have to have all the right answers, Lord, and we don't have to say all the right things when we're praying to you. There's so many things that we don't realize that are going on in our, in, on a spiritual level. And so, Lord, thank you so much for the ways that you've blessed us. Lord, would you just honor this time as we just worship you? And it's, it's, it feels so good to, to say that, that we finally get to worship as a family back together again. Lord, we love you, and we thank you so much for Jesus Christ who, who paid it all on the cross. Thank you, God. It's in your, it's in your name we pray. Amen.